0: It's time for Nordic on Tap. I'm your host, Eric Stavney, for this Nordic on Tap podcast of life stories, folk tales, and music of the Nordic countries, Iceland, Norway, Denmark, Sweden, Finland, Sápmi, and the Faroe Islands, with contributions from folks west of the Atlantic as well. Welcome to this podcast of Nordic Folk Tales. In this show, we'll look at Norwegian and Swedish folktales, and we'll take up those of other Nordic countries in the future. We'll also hear some tunes and songs from the Nordog Grieg, Spellmann's Log, and yours truly. Stories. What is it about stories that we hold them so dear? Why do we value them? Well, folk tales and stories are how we classically have captured and transmitted our values and morals, explained how the world was created, and the human part in that. This is how we teach our children. Uh, show me any culture, past and present, and I'll show you the stories they tell that define that culture. Show me any great historic or religious leader, and I'll show you the stories or parables or morality tales through which those leaders taught how we should navigate the human experience. Folk tales are often metaphorical, with animals standing in for silly or obnoxious or downright scary things, or they embody spirits or ideas we cannot see, like good and evil. And some folk tales take on death and disease and anguish, for those are things that are part of the human experience, which we want our children to come to understand too. Folk tales often have obvious and recurring themes. Goodness is usually rewarded. Heroes and heroines live happily ever after and villains are suitably punished. In the Norwegian tradition, the hero Espen Askelad, a young guy, probably maybe a teenager, is initially portrayed as a weakling or a good-for-nothing dreamer who's never given anything serious to do, and so he can only sit and play with the ashes in the fireplace but when pressed, as in the course of an adventure, he turns out to be bold and courageous, quite inventive, and always inquisitive. He is the one among all the contenders for the princess in the kingdom who can think outside the box, outwit the troll, cut off all three heads, escape the giant or the witch, and so he succeeds. And there are also girl and woman heroines in folklore too, but I think it's fair to say that Stories that feature the boy Espen or the girl-like Cinderella aren't about boys and girls per se, but about the masculine and feminine parts in all of us. Or perhaps they address the male versus the female perspective on life. So they're really for everybody. Let's talk about Norway. I'll be reading you a folktale I originally found in Joan Hansen's translation, A Time for Trolls published by Tannum. This is a selection of tales from As Bjornsson and Mue. not the whole thing, but an excerpt of them or a selection of them. I've had this book when I was maybe seven years old, when my parents bought it for me in Vos, Norway. I remember that day well. Uh, consequently, my edition is well-worn. There are also many sources of folk tales free online because many of those original works from back then in the 1800s are all out in the public domain and no longer under copyright. Just type in Norwegian folktales or Swedish folktales or what you will. Now besides A Time for Trolls, I also recommend to Ina Nunnely's translation of The Complete and Original Norwegian Folktales of Alsbjørnsen and Mue, which has over 60 tales that they published this came out in 2019 by the University of Minnesota Press. Nunnally's word choice is fresh and more modern, unlike some of the old translations using words that the younger generations today just wouldn't understand. At the end of Nunnally's book, her translations of the original forewords to the folktale books written by Asbjørnsen and Mu are real gold. In them, Asbjornsen argues that Norwegian folktales are far more than just children's stories, that they are integral to the Norwegian national character and culture, what we in the United States might compare to something that's, quote, as American as mom and apple pie. Stories and tales are not only a product of a culture, but also a time period. As and Mue published their first set of stories in 1841, at a time when Norwegian pride and identity was growing. This Norwegian romantic nationalism focused on the beauty of the countryside, on nature, and on the uniqueness of what being Norwegian meant. The great painters, such as Tiedemann and Gude, Jasé Dahl, August Kaplan, were creating scenes of blue fjords, cascading waterfalls, snow-capped mountains, picturesque mountain farms with stabor food storage sheds and people doing everyday things in the countryside. Bjornsson was writing books and later went on to write the Norwegian National Anthem. Ibsen was writing plays. In fact, Pyr Gynt includes trolls of folktale fame. And Edvard Grieg and Ole Bull were composing pieces with a strong sense of Norway's traditions and folk music. Take, for example, Grieg's Hall of the Mountain King, which was written for Ibsen's Per Gint. As I mentioned, the folktale I'm about to relate comes from Norway. It was collected by Peter Asbjørnsen and Jürgen Mua. This is my translation from the original, although I've borrowed some words from Joan Rohansen's translation of Time for Trolls and, and a little of least complete and original Norwegian folktales. I've taken a tiny bit of liberties with the story to make it a little more relevant. It's called Per, Paul, and Espen Askelad. Once upon a time, there was a man who had three sons, Per, Paul, and Espen Askelad. But other than his three sons, he didn't have much else, for he was so poor that he didn't even own the shirt on his back. So he told his children time and again that they would have to go out into the world and earn their own bread, because if they stayed at home, they could only expect a life of poverty. Now, a good way from this poor man's house was where the king lived on his farm, and right outside the king's windows there grew this oak tree, which was so big that it shaded out all the light. the king had promised a huge amount of money to whomever could cut down this oak tree. But no one could do it, for every time you chopped out a piece of the trunk, two new pieces grew back before you could even swing again. And so the oak just kept getting thicker and bigger. The king also wanted to have a well dug that would hold water all year round. All of his neighbors had wells, some had wells that dried up in the summer, but the king, he had absolutely none, and he thought that was a disgrace. To whomever could dig a well that had water in it year-round, the king had promised money, among other things, but there was no one who could do it, because the king's farm lay way, way up on top of a hill, and whenever someone started digging, they hit hard rock just a few inches down. Even if they could dig a hole, it would have to be very, very deep in order to reach the water under the hill." Now, the king had decided he had just had to have these things done, so he let it be known throughout all the churches, both far and wide, for that's how they spread news in those days, that whomever could cut down the big oak on the king's farm and dig a well that would have water in it year round would be allowed to marry the king's daughter. That's if the princess was willing to marry, of course. Plus, that person would get half of everything the king owned. And you can believe that there were many who wanted to try. For all the chopping and hacking though, and hammering and digging, nothing helped. The oak became thicker and thicker every day, and well, that hilltop wasn't getting any softer either. So this business about the oak tree and the well had been going on a while, when the three sons decided they wanted to try their luck. The father was pleased to hear this, because even if they didn't get to marry the princess and get half of everything the king owned they at least would get a job working at the royal farm. That was about as much as he could hope for. So when the sons asked if they could go, the father gave his permission at once, and so off they went, Pear, Paul, and Espen Now, after they'd been hiking for a while, they came to a hill covered with spruce trees, rising up steeply towards the top of the mountain. And far above, they could hear the sound of chopping. "'I wonder what is chopping way up there,' said Espen Askelad. "'Well, you're always wondering about stuff,' said Pear and Paul. "'What's so strange about hearing a woodcutter at work in the forest?' "'I think it would be interesting to see it,' said Espen, and he started off up the hill. "'Oh, you're such a child. The walk will do you good,' yelled his brothers after him. But Espen didn't bother about them. He hiked up the hill towards where he heard the chopping. And when he got there, he saw it was an axe, which was swinging and chopping on a tree trunk. Good day, said Espen Askelod. I see you're busy chopping away. Yes, I've been chopping here for a long time, waiting for you, said the axe. Well, here I am, said Espen. And he took the axe and knocked the head off the handle and put both pieces into his knapsack. When he came back down to the trail, there was Pear and Paul. And they teased and laughed at him. "'So, what was this amazing thing you discovered up there?' they said. "'Oh, it was just an axe we heard,' said Espen. So they started walking again, and after they had walked a little while further, they began to hear the sound of hammering up on the hill. "'I wonder what it is we can hear hammering up there near the cliff,' said Espen. "'Okay, Mr. Curious,' said Pear and Paul. "'Haven't you heard woodpeckers hammering and pecking on trees before?' "'Sure, but I think it would be fun to see what's happening anyway,' said Espen, and although they laughed and teased him, he didn't let it bother him. He hiked up towards the hammering sound, and he came to a pickaxe, which was hammering and digging in the rocky hillside. "'Good day,' said Espen Askeladd. "'Have you been hammering and digging here all alone?' "'Yes, that's what I'm doing,' said the pickaxe. "'I've been hammering and digging here a long, long time waiting for you.' "'Well, yes?' (laughs) Here I am, said Espen again, and he took the pick, knocked the head off the shaft, and put both of them into his knapsack, and back he went, down to his brothers. So what was the big surprise you discovered up the hill, said Pear and Paul. Oh, it wasn't anything strange, just a pickaxe we heard, said Espen. So they set off again for a good way until they came to a stream. They were all three of them very thirsty after walking so far, and they kneeled down to drink. Espen looked up. Say, I wonder where this stream comes from, said Espen. Are you nuts? You've been wondering about this and that since we started. Where does the stream come from? Haven't you ever seen water bubbling up from a spring in the ground before? Well, yes, but I'd still like to see where the water's coming from, said Espen. And he went off up the hill, and his brothers yelled after him, but he didn't let it bother him, he kept going. Espen followed the stream and it got smaller and smaller until he came to the end where he found a walnut from which the water was bubbling out. Hello, said Espen. Are you bubbling and singing all alone there? Yes, I've been bubbling and singing all alone for a long, long time waiting for you. Well, here I am, said Espen and he took a piece of moss and stuck it in the hole so the walnut wouldn't leak, and he put it in his knapsack, and down he went to per and Paul on the trail. Now, have you seen where a stream comes from? It's such an amazing sight, huh? They teased him. Oh, it was just a hole the water was bubbling out of, said Espen. They laughed and teased him some more, but Espen didn't mind. I enjoyed seeing it anyway, he said. They walked on and finally came to the king's farm, but since everyone in the kingdom had already heard that they could marry into royalty and get half of everything the king owned by cutting down the great oak and digging a well, many came to try their luck, but none of them had any luck. Now the oak was twice as thick and huge as it had been to begin with, for you will remember that two new pieces grew back for every one that was chopped off. Therefore, the king, who was now quite irritated and impatient, had decreed that all those who promised that they could chop down the oak and failed were to be banished to an island and have their ears cropped off. But the three sons were not scared away. They were positive they could chop down the oak, and Pear, since he was the oldest, went first. Pear fared no better than all the others who tried to chop down the oak for every piece he cut. Two more pieces grew back instead. So the king's men grabbed him, cropped his ears, and sent him off to the island. Then Paul wanted his turn, and it went just the same for him. After he had chopped two or three times, it was obvious the oak was just growing thicker. So the king's men sent him out to the island and cropped his ears even closer because they thought he should have learned his lesson from his brother. So now Espen wanted to try. If you are so eager to be marked as a sheep, we'll just cut your ears off right now and spare you the trouble, said the king, who was angry after Pear and Paul failed. I would still like to try first, said Espen, and they had to let him. He brought out his axe from his knapsack and fixed the head on the handle. Chop away, said Espen to the axe, and it chopped and chopped and chopped, so the splinters flew, and it was not long before the oak fell to the ground. When that was finished, Espen took his pickaxe and fastened on the handle. Dig away, said Espen, and the pickaxe hammered and dug and threw out rocks and dirt, and there was no stopping the digging of the well at that point. When the hole was deep and wide enough, Espen borrowed a ladder and climbed down into the deep hole. He took out his walnut, laid it in a corner on the bottom, and pulled out the moss. Bubble and flow, said Espen, and the water came rushing out from the hole, and he had to scramble up the ladder because in no time at all the well was full to the brim with water. And so Espen felled the oak that shut out the light from the king's windows and dug a well for the king's farm. Of course, the princess fell in love with him and he with her, and so they married and got half of all the king owned, just as the king had promised. But it was just as well that Per and Paul were way out on the island with their ears cropped, otherwise, they would have heard everyone saying over and over that Espen succeeded because he was always curious about things. So, Sweden has its own folk tradition, too. In fact, you might argue that they have the earliest claim to Scandinavian folklore. It is said that Gustavus Adolphus, the king of Sweden from 1611 to 1632, told the priests in the churches around the country to collect folklore from their area. That's pretty remarkable that these priests were to collect any and all folklore, given that a lot of folklore has supernatural beings, which are not exactly part of Christian dogma. So here is a Swedish fairy tale or folk tale by Niels Gabriel Dirkloh from his Fairy Tales from the Swedish of G. Dirkloh published in 1901. This is a classic. This one is about self-important people who like to put other people in their place. There's a little bit of The Emperor Has No Clothes in this, which you may know is a Hans Christian Andersen story. This is called Twigmuntus Calbellientus Perchnosius. Once upon a time, there was a king who was so very learned that no parson in the world could surpass him. In fact, he was so learned that ordinary folks could hardly understand what he said, nor could he understand them either. But in order to have someone to talk with, he procured seven wise professors who were not quite so learned as himself, but who were just able to interpret his learned sayings so that people could apprehend them, and who could twist and turn about the talk of ordinary folks so that it became sufficiently learned and complicated for the king to understand it. The king had no son, but he had a daughter, and in order that she should be happily married and the country governed according to the fundamental principles of his learning, he issued an edict that, he who was so learned as to put the king and his professors to silence, "'should have his daughter and half the kingdom there and then. "'But anyone who attempted the task and did not succeed "'should lose his head for having dared to exchange words with the king. "'But the princess was so fair and beautiful "'that it was no joke to gaze at her either, "'and the king did not keep her caged up, "'for anyone who wished to see her could.' There came princes and counts and barons and parsons and doctors and learned persons from all quarters of the world, and no sooner did they see the princess than they one and all wanted to try their luck. But however learned they were, their learning never proved sufficient, and every one of them lost his head. Over in a corner of the kingdom there lived a farmer who had a son. This lad was not stupid, he was quick of apprehension and sharp witted, and he was not afraid of anything. When the king's edict came to his out-of-the-way place, and the parson had read it from the pulpit, the lad wanted to try his luck. He who risks nothing wins nothing, thought the lad. And so he went to the parson and told him that if he would give him lessons in the evening, he would work for the parson in the daytime. But he wanted to become so learned that he could try about with the king and his professors. Whoever means to compete with them must be able to do something more than just munch bread, said the parson. That may be, said the lad, but I'll try my luck. The parson thought, of course, that he was mad, but when he could get such a clever hand to work for him for only his keep, he thought he could not very well say no, and so the lad got what he wanted. He worked for the parson in the daytime, and the parson read with him in the evening, and in this way they went on for some time, but at last the lad grew tired of his books. "'I'm not going to sit here and read and grind away and lose what few wits I have,' he said, and it won't be of much help either, for if you're lucky, things will come right of themselves, and if you're not lucky, well, you'll never make a silk purse out of a sow's ear.' And with this he pitched the books on the shelf and went his way." All at once he came to a large forest where the trees and the bushes were so thick that it was with difficulty he could get along. While he was thus pushing his way through, he began wondering what he should say when he came to the king's palace and how best he could make use of the learning he had picked up from the parson. All of a sudden the twig of a tree struck him across his mouth, so that his teeth rattled. Hmm, that is twig muntis, he said." A little while after he came to a meadow where a cow was standing bellowing so furiously that it almost deafened him. That is cow belliantis, he said. He then came to a river, but just as there was neither bridge nor planks across it, he had to put his clothes on his head and swim across. While he was swimming, a perch came and bit him on the nose. That is perch nosius, he said. At last he came to the king's palace, where things did not look at all pleasant, for there were men's heads stuck on long stakes round about, and they grinned so horribly that they were enough to frighten anyone out of his wits. But the lad was not easily frightened. "'God's peace,' he said, and raised his cap. "'There you stick and grin at me, but who knows if I may not be keeping you company before the day is over, and be grinning with you at others.' But if I happen to be alive, you shall not stick there any longer gaping at people, he said. So he went up to the palace and knocked at the gate. The guard came out and asked what he wanted. I have come to try my luck with the princess, said the lad. You said the guard. Well, you're a likely one you are. Have you lost your senses? There have been princes and counts and barons and parsons and doctors and learned persons here, and all of them have had to pay with their heads for that pleasure, and yet you think you'll succeed, he said. I should say that is no concern of yours, said the lad. Just open the gate, and you'll see one who's not afraid of anything. But the guard would not let him in. Do as I tell you, said the lad, or there'll be a fine to do." But the guard would not. The lad seized him by the collar, flung him against the wall so that it creaked, and he walked straight into the king, who sat in his parlor with all his seven professors about him. Their faces were long and thin, and they looked like puny, sickly persons about to die. They were sitting with their heads on one side, meditating and staring at the floor. When one of them, who looked up, asked the lad in ordinary language, Who are you? "'A suitor,' said the lad. "'Do you want to try for the princess's hand?' "'Well, that's about it,' said the lad. "'Have you lost your wits? "'There have been princes and counts and barons and parsons and doctors "'and learned persons here, and all of them have gone headless away, "'so you'd better turn around and get away while your head is still on your shoulders,' he said. "'Don't trouble yourself on that account, but rather think of the head on your own shoulders,' said the lad." You look after yours, and I'll take care of mine. So just begin, and let me hear how much wit you've got, for I don't think you look so very clever, he said. The first professor... Then began a long harangue of gibberish, and when he had finished, the second went on, and then the third, and in this way they continued till at length it was the turn of the seventh. The lad did not understand a single word at all, but he didn't lose courage for all that, he only nodded his approval to it all. When the last had finished his harangue, he asked, Can you reply to that? "'Well, that's easy enough,' said the lad. "'Why, when I was in my cradle and in my go cart "'I could twist my mouth about and prat and jabber like you, "'but since you are so terribly learned, "'I'll put a question to you, and that shall not be a long one. "'Twigmuntis? Calbelliantis? perchnosius. "'Can you give me an answer to that?' And now you should have seen how they stretched their necks and strained their ears. They put on their spectacles and began to look into their books and turn over the pages. But while they were searching and meditating, the lad put his hands in his trouser pockets and looked so frank and fearless that they could not help admiring him and wondering that one who was so young could be so learned and yet look just like other people. "'Well, how are you getting on?' said the lad. "'Cannot all your learning help you to open your mouth "'so I can have an answer to my question?' he said. "'Then they began to ponder and meditate, "'and they glanced at the ceiling, "'and then they stared at the walls, "'and then they fixed their eyes on the floor, "'but they could not give him any answer, "'nor could the king himself, "'although he was much more learned "'than all the others together. "'They had to give it up, "'and the lad got the princess and half the kingdom.' This he ruled in his own way, and if it did not fare better, it did not fare worse for him than for the king with all of his fundamental principles. Now here's the Norwegian classic, "Dansa Mivisa" or Dance My Song. It was originally a poem by Einar Sjerolsen, with a melody probably by Edvard Brein, and this is actually more of a fanciful instrumental version by yours truly. The Nordahl-Grieg Spellmannslag is a music group associated with the Nordahl-Grieg Sons of Norway Lodge in San Jose, California, and the Nordahl-Grieg Lekering and Dance Group. They've been around since 1992, and I was lucky enough to play with them for some time. The group not only plays instruments, but they have some gifted singers, such as Leslie Bonnet and Valerie Thompson. And here's a duet by Bonnet and Thompson. I find this very haunting and beautiful. This is a traditional song called "Kas Egha jag ha på meaning "What should I have on my wedding day?" That concludes our podcast of Norwegian and Swedish Folk Tales, edition number one. You can expect more folktales of Denmark, Finland, Sápmi, Iceland, and the Faroes in the future. Please drop us a line at nordicontap all one word, at gmail.com, or leave comments on our Facebook page for Nordic on Tap. Know some good stories? Someone who has a story to tell? About an experience, about life, about something Nordic. We want to know about them and put them on our show. You can find this show and other podcasts on Podbean at Tap, all one word, dot Podbean dot com, or on iTunes, Spotify, and TuneIn Radio. Our catchy podcast theme song was composed and performed by Daryl Jackson at Daryl All one word: D A R R Y L J A C K S O N music.com. I'm Eric Stavny. Till nästa gong på Nordic on Tap. Vi ses. Heroes and heroines live happily ever after and villains are severe and villains are suitably published. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Try that again. Goodness is usually rewarded. Heroes and heroines live happily ever (laughs) after. Jeez.
1: Oh, my God. All right. Oh, my God. (laughs) How hard can this be?